0: Hello and welcome to Enterprise Linux Security episode 82 in the name of the law. How are you doing, Jao?
1: Oh, good, Jay. It's always a pleasure. And we have a couple of more interesting stories to cover today.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, we have a few to get caught up on. Um, so I say we just dive right in. Which one do you want to start with?
1: Let's start with the FPI one because it immediately jumps out at you. It does. Um, so if... You probably remembered that it's a few years back, some random vigilante was entering into people's home routers and was fixing a security vulnerability and then leaving, just fixing the hole, patching it, and out it was.
0: Yeah, back then it was funny, now, it, now this story isn't though, unfortunately.
1: That was somehow funny because we don't exactly know who it was and we can't exactly assign blame in that case. Um, The activity itself was still illegal. Somebody was hacking into your stuff. I get that the net result was positive and your systems were more secure after that person did that, but it was still an illegal activity. Somebody was hacking into stuff that they shouldn't have. So um, a couple of weeks ago... The FBI launched an operation where they had identified some Netgear and Cisco home routers, uh, small office home routers, um, that uh, had reached end-of-life. And again, stuff reaching end-of-life is critical for security. I cannot stress this enough. It's one of the most dangerous positions you can be in, is handling stuff that has no more patches available. Oh, yeah. Um, so the FBI identified a few models of uh, Cisco and Netgear home routers that were no longer supported and were vulnerable to something. They, I don't think they immediately disclosed what it was that they were vulnerable to. but So they identified that um, a threat actor apparently linked to the Chinese government. And again, this type of links, they establish it, they run with it, take it with a grain of salt. It, it's really difficult to actually ascertain blame in this case. And I'm not excusing anybody. If it was them, then it was them. The, that's not the, the point. It's just that it's really tricky to completely ascertain blame and pointing the finger so is… They're again. saying it's it's Chinese. Yeah, we are we're the, necessarily saying It's the, that, spider, the Spider-Man meme all over again. Everybody pointing at each other. and Yeah. Okay so the FBI identified those routers they found that they were vulnerable they were being exploited so they got a court order and it's important that they had get they got a the court order their press release immediately starts with court authorized uh, operation exactly because they knew the optics this was going to have and they entered those routers from anybody that had them in the US they stopped the the VPN process that was being used by the threat actors. Uh, By the way, those devices were by then part of a botnet. So the FBI was trying to disrupt the botnet. Um, And they got into the devices. They stopped the VPN process that the bots were using. They changed the configuration on the device to blacklist the, the route to the command and control um, IP addresses, and they added firewall exclusion so that communication couldn't be restored to the, to the known bad the nodes out there, and they left the device. Now, again, I know that the net result is positive. People are safer after they did this. And don't get me wrong, I don't have a single gram in my body of libertarian ideas or ideals or something like that. I do believe government has a a role to play, and I actually believe in government.
0: Yeah, but Um, but they also can overreach, and and here we are with the possibility of that exact scenario.
1: But they placed themselves in exactly the same spot as that vigilante a few years back. The difference here is that we know that it was the government doing it. We know that it was the FBI doing it. So they, in effect, they hacked into people's equipment. They did whatever they wanted to do in that equipment and then they left. And again, I know this was for security. I know that the the result is positive for everybody who was affected by it in that their devices were no longer vulnerable. But still, it kind of irks me the wrong way when when i read this news and the way that this uh, happened and for many reasons that we will discuss in a moment but again the optics around this are really really bad
0: another something that kind of i mean this whole thing annoys me but another thing that annoys me is somewhere in the article it said something along the lines of they did impact normal operation of the routers if that's supposed to make everything okay but not only that they don't know what someone's normal use of a router is. Sure, it's most likely to get somebody online and to have multiple computers online because that's what most people use these for. But somewhere there's probably someone's grandson who set up a VPN and maybe a work from home situation for someone in the family or something and it uses the VPN service and they're trying to figure out what exactly happened and why it went down. Um, And then all of a sudden it did, but I mean, what defines normal use of a router? Because everyone's using the router for different things. Sure, some people are online and that's all they do, but some people have WireGuard going through there. Some people have their own VPN connection going through there. They have a home lab or whatever's going on here. And to just, I mean, I also feel like it would just be so much easier, probably take a lot fewer resources for them just to work with the manufacturer. I mean, wouldn't that be a better way to handle this?
1: Yeah, but... (laughs) Again, keep in mind, when something reaches end of life, the manufacturers absolutely want nothing else to do with it. Um, It means that they'll have to expend resources doing stuff that is barely usable by by anybody interested in their products. It's the old stuff. They don't want people running the old stuff. They want people to buy the new one. That's why they keep upgrading it and putting out new models.
0: But if the FBI Um, wants to do some work to fix a router, then let them do the work on the behalf of the vendor and then set the patch out. (laughs) I mean, if they probably know how to hack into a router, be... they could probably change a few lines of code, I would think. But anyway, here we are. Either way, I mean, this is just a crazy story.
1: Um, yeah, but the, the story itself, it has so many holes. Because, again, the, the FBI claims to have done this only on stuff that was working in the US. Defining what is running on a specific geographical location, as we all know, is completely, I wouldn't go out on a limb and say impossible, but it's really, really tricky to do because you have VPNs, you have Tor network and Tor exit nodes. You have lots of different ways from appearing to be in one place when you're actually in
0: another. The limited IP space is the reason for that too because when I remember when I moved, it was saying that that my IP was egress from New York, which was never the case. But the IP address that I had must have been registered in New York and then maybe transferred to my location later. It shows correct today. But um, that's another reason. It could be, yeah, same thing. You never really know nowadays where an IPv4 address is really coming from.
1: And then there's the problem of jurisdiction on top of that. Sure, the FBI has a court-authorized operation going on for US-based devices. um, But who's to say they didn't suddenly run that on top of someone having it in Europe or something like that? and using a VPN exit node in the US, for example. It was no longer US-based and the FBI immediately overreached and went outside the borders of the US. Um, Additionally, there's the whole thing about the internet is supposed to be free and open and all of that. We have been seeing the internet basically since it started exploding, not from the beginning because it's much older than that, but when it really took off. And seeing operations like this, limited to just this particular geographic location, tells me two things. First, they didn't really want to kill the botnet, because they only affected the stuff that was happening in the US, so all the other botnets, all the other bots that were part of the botnet, based elsewhere in the world, those will continue to operate (laughs) happily. Cisco and Netgear stuff is not sold just on the U.S. I'm sorry if that's a news flash for the FBI, but that's how it is. You can acquire that stuff anywhere in the world. Um, so, again, they impacted slightly the the overall botnet. Was it really was it really that much of a of of a progress that they made against the botnet to just affect those particular devices and not the entire network at, at completely because that's where they're they're left at this point with all the bad press that they got around this because now people are talking about overreach people are looking into ways that they can limit the the way that the fbi runs these operations and all of that for no justifiable gain in my view
0: right yeah they they just the only thing they've succeeded in doing is getting us talking but they didn't impact I mean, you you can't even argue that they've saved the United States because any of these routers, like you were mentioning, in another country being used, they're not going to say, oh, the router's not going to say, yeah, we can't talk to the United States. It doesn't care. Like, It has a a malware in it. It'll talk to any IP you give it. It's not going to just stay within the borders of other countries. So to your point, I can't think of anything that they've gained here other than, I mean, if they wanted to do this, they could have just... I mean, these these are the people that probably fall for tech support scams. They probably could have just called them on the phone and said, hey, look, we need to do a couple of firewall rules. And it's the one time it's legitimate and it would have been fine. You know, they're asking permission. Oh, yes, please help me. Like they would say to the other people that call for various reasons. It's just crazy to me. Uh,
1: absolutely, because at the end of the day, you're using exactly the same tactics as the threat actors. We know the intentions are not the same, but you're still entering devices without letting the owners know that you're going to do it. And I can't in any way understand how how they thought that this would be seen by the public, how it would be perceived by the public, and how they justified the the lack of gains they would get here with the the perceived damage that they are going to be doing to their future operations. This wasn't the first time that they did this. The, The article mentions this. They had done something similar to Exchange servers a few months back, so this wasn't the first time. There's precedent here, but again, every single time they're going to have an operation like this in the future, they're going to have everybody breathing right on their neck. Everybody is going to be paying a lot more attention to what they're doing. And in the world of the three-letter agencies, that's not something that you want.
0: You really don't. It's like they have permission to violate federal wiretapping law, which I'm, I'm not a lawyer here, so take this with a grain of salt, but I'm pretty sure that's the law as I remember it is you know, federal wiretapping law. You can't Wiretap, And essentially, even though it's, you know, that law was created back when we only had, you know, copper telephone lines and telephone calls, it applies to this too. But of course, they have a court order. They put it at the beginning of the article or whatever. So it's fine, right? I mean, <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's not.
1: <laughs> it really isn't. And then, as you were saying before, there's the whole thing about what constitutes a normal use of the router. Um, So their idea was to log into the routers that were vulnerable, kill the the VPN process that the bot was using, and apply the firewall rules and the the routing rules and all of that. And that's all fine and dandy. But what if I had added software to that router? What if the software that I was using turned out to be exactly the same piece of software to to run VPN connections that the, the bot used? And it was perfectly legitimate. Or in another scenario, what if I run a cybersecurity research company and I have a honeypot because I know those devices were vulnerable and I was trying to identify the botnet. That's a good point. I was trying to identify the command and control nodes. And now the FBI came in, cleaned up my work, and now I'm going to have to redo everything again. Thank you for that, FBI.
0: It's it's just so annoying. It'd be one thing if it if they saved the day, we would still have a problem with how they did it, but they didn't really, as we discussed, it didn't solve anything. And it's just, and not only that, like you were mentioning some of the use cases somebody might have, I would, am, I mean, unless we know what they did, we really don't know how the routers are impacted. For example, did they go in the settings and turn off the VPN service? Did they chmod minus x a binary that's required for VPN to work and now it doesn't work anymore? Um, or maybe what they did, I mean, these the CPUs on these devices were already struggling when the devices were new. We could have wasted CPU cycles on people's routers wondering why you know, it can't access its own VPN service and then it's, you know, constantly retrying, retrying, retrying to do whatever they blocked. Unless we know technically what they did, they might have, you know, even though they say they didn't, they might have negatively impacted these routers even more than we think. I mean, they literally could be that these things are slower now because of maybe what they did is causing the logs to fill up or the storage gets full because of the logs. I mean, there's so many different things. Yeah. As many of us know, that can happen to a router when you, you know, mess with it. And now we have, if they didn't have the mindset to fix this problem globally, I don't trust their mindset that they did what they did do in the proper way at all.
1: And see, that's one of the limitations of their operation. They're bound by the law. Obviously, and correctly um, and that's one of the differences from the, the stuff that happened a few years ago with that vigilante that guy didn't stop at the border he basically searched the entire IP space located the devices that he wanted to get in and fix and he went for all of them um, and that's different because then he killed the entire botnet right now you only killed a small part of it that's completely different and then we there's need this, this guy, guy
0: back to do the rest of the job then, don't we? <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> they should have hired the guy and um, and then there's the whole notification and transparency aspect of this. Are they going to be telling the people that uh, that were impacted by this what happened? Are they going to tell them, hey, we got into the routers, we did this, this, and this. Okay, we fixed your problem, you're now more secure. But letting people know what happened, uh, at least that goes some way. And then another thing is that the fixes that they implemented, they themselves say that it was only temporary. A reboot would would get everything back in in the initial state again. So the, factory the reset firewall, even
0: if even if not a factory reset would probably no, restore the, the entire image and then
1: the firewall the firewall rules that they added the the routing information that they added none of that was permanent. That was only for the duration of the the current
0: uh, Oh, we know that for Oh, wow. Okay. I got it. Yeah, that's yeah. oh boy.
1: So, yeah. Um and then there's the whole thing about the, the global cybersecurity stuff. The, the U.S. is trying to get other countries on board with lots of cybersecurity initiatives and getting them to agree to specific rules and specific laws to implement in different countries to address stuff that the, the U.S. has identified as problematic. And that's very fine and dandy. They identify threat groups. They need cooperation to go after them and all of that. So if they are overstepping, if they are by accident going over devices on other countries where they don't have the permission to do this. That can be perceived as, I'm not going to say malicious intent because it's not malicious intent, but at least a disregard for the national laws of other countries. Um, so again, they're putting themselves into a really tight spot there. They're going to have some serious backlash of a, something as silly as this that could have been handled much, much better.
0: I wonder how what are the chances that they had somebody working on this, they had this idea, and whatever it was they were trying to do failed, but they only got as far as the United States routers and then realized that they can't do anything else, and they didn't really do anything that the person thought they would achieve, and they had to release this press statement. I almost wondered if it was just a botched thing internally. They wouldn't tell us, right? I mean, why else would they stop when part of the job is done and then release a statement um, I mean, these we've had stories from the FBI where they did help in some situations, and they did show some knowledge and skill here. So this looks so unskilled that it just seems to me like a, a totally a botched operation that they're trying to save face in front of the media for. I mean, they're probably not going to want us to tell you it's a failure if they if it was.
1: I think it's about the whole court-approved stuff. They wouldn't get the court to approve operations on foreign countries. Um, So they would have to restrict what they are asking the court to approve to only the US-based stuff. However difficult that is to define. And this is why they are now in this situation. Um also, if anybody in the audience has a Netgear or a Cisco um, end-of-life device, you might want to check if there are any fancy firewall rules there, and please share them with us. We would love to know yeah, what they are. Yeah,
0: we would added. love to see that. It, it, yeah, if nobody does, I'll have to probably go on eBay and find the model and, and just see what happens and, and set up a honeypot of my own. But if, I would imagine somebody in the audience knows someone somewhere, maybe a family member that refuses to upgrade or something. Do we know the model's do we have that at all?
1: I don't think they specify the the actual models. We just know that they're Cisco and Netgear, but both companies have countless models out there. So,
0: so check your firewall rules and see if there's anything in there that you know for sure you didn't add. And if there is, uh, you know, contact us. Getting uh, that us on Twitter or something. That. Yeah, we would absolutely love to look at that. Absolutely, would love it.
1: Okay, so moving on from the the FBI story, uh, we have another very interesting story from Microsoft. The so two face palms of the week in one yeah. episode, right? And apparently we just realized that Microsoft does not consider Satya Nadella's um, emails for a period of three months to be business important enough to affect the, the actual oh, nobody cares about him business results. Nobody
0: cares,
1: I mean, right? it's only the CEO, right? So who cares what he's and, doing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who, who cares? <laughs>
1: Okay, so Microsoft recently, and this happened like a couple of weeks ago, admitted to having been hacked, starting as early as November and lasting until January, by a group called, and silly names are abound, called Midnight Blizzard. Again, if the name sounds silly, it really is silly.
0: So they're playing you, Blizzard games at midnight when they had the idea, I don't know, just up stuff,
1: <laughs> I have an idea. It's supposed to be a color and something related to weather. I didn't know Midnight was a color, but apparently it is. Midnight Blue, Um,
0: maybe.
1: You can refer to the group as the ones behind the solar wind hacks from a couple of years ago. Those were again linked to Russia, so they are believed to be state-sponsored as well. And it's funny how every single week we seem to be talking about different state-sponsored attacks. Um, There is some serious resources being put into this, so keep that in mind. OK, so I'm going to use the word somehow a few times in the description of what happened. Uh, keep that in mind. It's important. So, the hack that Microsoft suffer, suffered happened by password spraying. Password spraying is slightly different from brute forcing, in which you're only trying passwords that have been found on online dumps. Not necessarily for the same accounts, but you're trying passwords from different accounts on the ones that you're trying to get in. So. They were hit with password spring on a test-tenant system that was somehow reachable from the Internet. Then, when the the attackers found a pair of credentials that worked, they somehow managed to jump from that test-tenant system to an internal Microsoft system, where they could create privileged accounts somehow. Also, those same accounts that they created, were successfully logged against Microsoft's own internal email servers. So they essentially got admin privileges on Nextchange. exchange. And for the three months between November and January, they were able to see the mailboxes of Satya Nadella, a couple of other top executives, actually as many as they wanted, they were admins there. so. Who knows exactly what accounts they looked at, but we knew for sure they looked at the CEOs. They also looked at uh, the, the internal Microsoft security team's emails, looking for references specifically to themselves in the sense of, have we been noticed yet? Has anybody seen us yet? Is there any reference to us? And they were paying attention to the internal security group communications, looking just for that. Um, again, this is... There are so many somehows here. How come a test system is somehow reachable? How can some when I created test systems in the past, whether lab environments or test systems, one of the first things that you do is to make sure that it's completely segregated from everything else. That includes the internet. For no other reason that you never want to be in a position where firing up something on the test system could try to compete with something that you have in production. If it's not entirely segregated, you might throw up a new domain controller that sees the ones in production, and then all hell breaks loose. And apparently this wasn't.
0: I think I might know why this happened. Um, The reason might be because, you know, whoever set up that system or was in charge of it didn't watch episode 20 of this (laughs) podcast where we covered cloud governance which is exactly the thing that would prevent this kind of thing from happening.
1: Another thing is how do credential, and I'm trying really hard not to say some expletives here. How do credentials for a test tenant work on internal systems? How are you reusing credentials for that? Test systems, you use different credentials. You never reuse credentials on two systems, especially privileged credentials. Um, How can you jump from a test tenant to an internal system anyway? I mean, we're talking about Azure here. Are you telling me that if I have a tenant on Azure, if I have a VM on on Azure, can I look over the fence to what my neighbors are doing in the cloud? Is that what they are supposed to be telling us here? Are they not entirely segregated? Isn't this whole thing on Azure completely virtualized and independent from each other? Apparently not.
0: No, Does it seem
1: so? Um, additionally, how come this activity was not spotted? How were not alerts fired? I mean, we have a test system that's being hit with authentication requests until somebody logs in. How is that not an alert? We have a move from a test system to an internal system. How is that login attempt not an alert? We have privileged account creations on an internal system. How is that by itself not an alert? we have an account looking at multiple email boxes and having had uh, admin privileges on a tenant, on uh, Exchange Online in the past, I know how hard it is to do that without leaving a trace. So that gets into every single log. How come they don't have alerts for this? Um, Accessing other mailboxes is a sign for an alert. All of these things should have raised alarms. Were the alarms raised? Were they ignored? Nobody was looking? I mean, lots of things here. And to me personally, the absolutely cherry on top of this entire story is that in the mandatory SEC disclosure that you now have to file in the US when you suffer a breach, they mentioned – and I want to quote, quote this um, – they had not yet determined any material impact on business from this breach reading the CEO's emails over this period of time does not impact business. What is the CEO doing there? Every single decision that he's making is supposed to have a business impact. Uh, Reading internal memos, product information, launches, acquisitions. Right, yeah. Come on.
0: Yeah, that email about Microsoft buying Canonical is probably in there somewhere. Okay, I'm joking. That is not an official story. I just keep making that joke, but um honestly we don't know and to your point there's yeah product launches i mean i'm sure what i guess what i'm surprised is and maybe this d- did happen since I, don't, since I don't follow microsoft as much as linux like actual leaks of like maybe a new microsoft surface or i don't know something but maybe that did happen and i just didn't notice it but um it's still just a facepalm because you expect i mean it's one thing if a company that's not Microsoft and is not Amazon or Google, just, just someone else doesn't have cloud governance as something like this happens. It's still a face palm thing, it's still bad, but when the cloud provider doesn't have, because you know, I don't know if they have cloud governance or not, You know, some system in place to prevent things from launching if they have certain characteristics. I don't know if they had that or not, it seems like they didn't, but we expect the cloud providers to be the best example because there's just no excuse for a cloud provider. That's gonna like really, anyone who has stigma about cloud, these are the types of stories that they're going to keep and and used as a rebuttal if you say we need to launch a cloud machine. And and, and rightfully so. I mean, I'm not even sure I disagree with them at this point.
1: There's a comment in the chat that uh, the credentials were linked to Azure ID and then they correct to Microsoft Entra quick note there. Entra in Portuguese means come in. So (laughs) the hacker just came in. (laughs) It literally does. I'm not making this up. Um,
0: Oh, boy. So they just did what they were told, right? Yeah. So let's 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 go in. Come on in.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay. There's so many things that went wrong here. But When you have a company and you acquire services or you purchase software or you create a solution and deploy systems and all of that, all of that stuff is third party to you. You don't create the OS, you don't create the networking infrastructure, you don't control the servers, you don't control the applications running on that. Microsoft controls the entire stack from top to bottom. All the software that they are running on Azure is created by Microsoft. If they controlling the entire stack the entire stack does not ensure that they know how to properly secure it, then oh boy, we're all fighting a losing battle here.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's just um Sometimes, I mean, this is no excuse, but sometimes I feel like the bigger a company is, the more likely this is to happen. I mean, it's one thing if you have like a small company, like five employees, two of them are in IT. And, you know, you, you could give each other code reviews and check the machines that you've launched and have another set of eyes. But as soon as you have like a bunch of employees, it becomes astronomical to gatekeep all of these things that are being deployed. I'm not saying Microsoft had an excuse here, obviously. Um and again, cloud governance, that's why it exists. Because when you get to a point where you have too many employees to watch and too many resources being created and destroyed in a given minute, you kind of do need a service or solution. And there's many of them out there. I'm not going to pitch any. You can find them. Um, we talked about cl- cloud governance. That'll basically look at things and say, hey, you this port is open to the world. We're going to pause this VM creation, notify the person, hey, you can't do this. And if they need an exception from a manager, they can maybe go get one, even though there shouldn't be an exception to that. And then they have that in place. Again, I don't know what Microsoft does or does not have in place in their data center. It's just that this looks to me like a lack of cloud governance, in my opinion.
1: At the very least, it's a complete lack of transparency and accountability on their part. Um, They're going to... Again, it's tough not to be mad about stuff like this. They keep coming out and saying they have great security and the best practices around security and how you can trust them with your stuff and how everything is safe on their infrastructure and all of that. And then their own internal systems have these problems. I mean, How do you still create accounts there that not have multi-factor authentication by default? Um, this is one of the things that they say that they're going to change because of this incident. Why wasn't this in place like three, four, five years ago at Microsoft? I, I thought mean, it
0: was because I managed Azure for a company and, and we got an email at one point that said multi-factor is going to be required unless there's there might be like a grace period possibly or something.
1: I mean, for their own employees, for their own test systems? Oh, for their own employees. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For their Sorry, own. I misunderstood
0: you. Yeah. The, mm-hmm.
1: The test system that was initially compromised, the accounts, it was simple password spraying. There was no MFA in there, there was no multifactor associated with the account, so as soon as they got the right password and the right username matched, they got in. How could that happen in the first place? it's one thing if you have a company like you were saying that has a couple of people on IT and you want to force security measures in place and nobody's going to buy them and it's an uphill battle to get everybody to agree to that because it's less convenient and you have another step for the authentication. Um, But it's completely different at Microsoft scale. At least it should be. At least they tell us that it's completely different. And it's a problem when we are facing situations like this where it's blatantly obvious that they're not following what they're telling us to do. It's uh, do as I say, not do as I do. And that's never a good thing. Um, again, the lack of trust there. And I know people lose trust in Microsoft for the smallest of things because of their past history and the relation that they've had with open source in the past. And we all know how that happened. It's no longer like that. And it has not been like that for the past few years, at least. They have been a valuable player on the open source space. And it's more than time that we admit that. But moves like this, they just bring, down, bring back the worst memories that you have of Microsoft. And now they're going to keep asking people to trust them on Azure and trust them with their secure stuff and it's much better than having that in-house and you should migrate everything to Azure and that's the absolute greatest and bestest that you can get and it isn't and it isn't because they're forcing you to take measures that they themselves don't have so your accounts won't be compromised but their admin accounts can be so your security goes down the drain just as well because if they're admins and they can look at your stuff then they can control it.
0: Well, maybe they should just sell this as a feature and have Oprah as a spokesperson. You can have access. You could have access. You can all have access. It's, it's probably why
1: they, It's probably why they renamed the Azure to enter. But again,
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not gonna uh, let that enter. Please enter, please
0: <laughs> enter. <laughs> that was such a funny name. I never knew that until today. Yeah. Um,
1: again, uh, the part that I mentioned about the, the material impact on business, this is important. And it's more important than it might look at first ti- at first glance because you might just think that this is just a joke or something like that. This is their legal team going over the document that they put out and making sure that they put nothing that compromises them. But in a situation like this, with the stuff that we know that has been accessed illegally and saying that it doesn't impact business, it absolutely impacts business from top from start to finish, the lack of trust, the privileged information that gets, uh, that gets leaked or potentially leaked, the potential access to other tenants there. Because if that account could jump into an internal system, then it could jump back to other tenants. Maybe other customers of Azure was, were affected by this. Um, there's quite a few things that we still don't know about this one, but all of them Every single thing related to this impacts Microsoft's business. And Azure is the most, is the biggest money-making machine inside of Microsoft. So anything that affects their public perception of Azure, it definitely impacts business. And coming out with a statement like this, in a sense, makes you not trust the entire statement that comes before or after. So they're trying to just throw sand to your eyes and gaslighting you about it.
0: Yeah, it's you know again you always ex- or at least you hope the cloud provider is a good steward and when they're when they turn out not to be um uh, it almost makes me wonder what the future of cloud is going to be. I'm not saying cloud is going to go away ever, but sometimes you know I just wonder if the people that you know again if they have stigma towards the cloud, which you know no no judgment, then maybe things like this will just make it, make them all that much more uh, able to put their foot down about that and Um, maybe you see more physical systems being bought, but still, and I'm not saying cloud is going away again, but still now there's, there's probably leaked things out there. Um, I can only imagine leaked products, like you said, where, I mean, obviously that's what the CEO of the company is going to talk about. What are they coming out with? It's not like they're sitting on their hands, doing nothing over there. They're doing stuff. So there's, there's things coming. So now people know about those things before it's ready for public scrutiny, maybe I don't know. I mean, there's beta stuff, there could be source code examples that someone thought was a good idea to paste in an email and send to their uh, developer friend. Hey, I have this function, what's wrong with this function? And then that's a function that lets somebody into their systems. You never know. I mean, it could be way worse than we think.
1: So many things. One of the things that you do at these type of companies is open-end research. They essentially look at the other companies' products and they try to find flaws in it. They try to find the positives and how they can use them on their own products. Do you think that information doesn't reach the CEO? Of course it does. It's a part of, at the very least, his weekly report from all of the departments. Um, There's so many things here. Another thing that's important to notice is that if it's so hard for Microsoft to properly secure their infrastructure that they are touting as secure, how can we expect smaller companies to ever be able to secure their own systems? Um, Microsoft can never claim that they don't have the money or the resources or the ability to hire the talent that they want because they do. They can get anybody to work from them. They can get all the software, all the tools. They can have all the resources thrown at their disposal. Companies that don't have that, companies that have limited resources, limited staff, limited time, many, many requests that they have to contend with, how are we ever going to be able to tell those companies that, yeah, you need to do this and do this and do this to be able to be secure? When you have examples like this one that throw everything out the window.
0: Yeah, it, it almost... And it, this doesn't excuse anything. I almost, I mean, was it an intern that just really didn't know what they were doing, that is really good at the interview process? There's still no excuse because cloud governance still would have caught it. But it's just... Well, no, I, I don't think... Sometimes it's like I want more details about how something happened. But of course you know, we want full transparency and that's always the best thing, but companies, they don't always, or most of the, most of the time, they don't want to give you any information about anything. So you have to, that's why we kind of look at the different angles and the different clues and try to piece it together. Sometimes that's the best we have, but I, I mean, if more information comes out, I know we'll definitely talk about it, but it's still a facepalm moment, no matter what. It is, and
1: it's probably like the the Rockstar stuff that we saw with the, the GTA source code being leaked like almost a year after the hack happened. Who knows what's coming down the pipeline from this. They were on the systems for over three months. That's enough time to get a lot of information out. Um, again, it's really hard not to, to be mad when something like this happens, and I find it difficult to believe that They called the system that was breached. A legacy test system that was left running by accident. It happens. Everybody has systems that they forgot to properly dispose of and all of that. I can bet you that the only time that they started calling that system legacy was the day after the breach happened. It wasn't legacy up to that point. It just suddenly became legacy. Yeah, and we need to take it out of production. Nobody's using it. Of course they were using it. That's why it was still up.
0: It's... Yeah, it's it's when I took, early in the podcast off air we were talking about potentially having a face palm of the week. I, I probably should have, rem, you know, reminded myself every episode's a face palm of the week. If you really think about it, I mean, the only question is who's the face palm target. But um, yeah, interesting.
1: Again, if you have your, if you're a an Azure tenant, if you have your stuff on Azure. At the very least, reach out to them, ask them for some more clarification on what happened and how it might impact you. Find out if your tenant was impacted by this, if they have any logs of stuff that was accessed on the stuff that you have there. They have logs of that. They might not trigger alerts from it apparently, but they should have the logs from it and they can look at them if you ask them to. Um, It's important enough for you to to do this because if it falls under the radar, then they'll just say it didn't happen and again in the future you might be hit by it.
0: Yeah. That's not good enough, you know, and I know you know that obviously, but it's like if I was a company using Azure or actually I already feel this way if I'm using anything and something like this happens, I want to know what happened and what are you doing about it to make sure this doesn't happen again. I need those details to know to make a business decision if I was using their services, to, should I keep using it or should I go another direction if I feel like it's a one off, you know, mistakes happen, but um, this is a big mistake if it's, you know, Azure, that's a, that's not a small mistake, but at the same time, details would really help, but you can't expect a company to feel confident after this, especially if they don't tell us what they plan on doing about this to, to make this more secure. That's what I want to know. And that's what I want to tell people is like, they're planning on doing, well, what are they planning on doing? I have no idea. just, just,
1: They made a broad statement about implementing some security measures that from now on that uh, would be in place and all of that. But that's vague enough to mean anything, basically. Um,
0: They could update their virus definitions on one system and technically they increase their security and check the box. You know, we have no idea what that means.
1: One of the things that they mentioned is that if this system had been created today, then the person who created it would have uh, used multi-factor authentication. Great, but multi-factor authentication wasn't invented yesterday. Multi-factor authentication has been around for years now. You should... Because of your position in the market, because of your importance to the overall infrastructure of things on the internet, you should have been using that from day one, the day it was invented. You shouldn't have waited for a bridge to act. It's like that it won't happen to me mindset. Until it happened to them, they weren't taking the effective measures to protect from something that could have happened. And it did happen. Of course, it could happen. And it did. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it did. And it, it always will eventually. If it can, it will. It's just a matter of time.
1: Especially for a target as big as Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, all of them are going to be hit every single day. They have to be on top of this type of things. They're the ones that can't take a false step here because if they do, they impact millions of users and million of users' private information and businesses' private information. All of that is really, really important for everybody. Apparently, except for them, they only want their users' money for the, for the tenant stuff.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's a shame, and of, and of course, some people might just as a as a reminder, some people might say, well, this is a Linux podcast, are right? you talking about yeah. Microsoft? Well, people run yeah. a lot of people run Linux in Azure. That is not a small footprint. In fact, I, last I checked, it was the bigger footprint, even yeah. from even in their own data in Azure, their own product, Linux is more used are, than their own Windows There server, are
1: more so. Linux servers running on Azure than Windows servers. So this will impact you if you're running anything on Azure, definitely, regardless of it being Windows or Linux. Just the thing about being able to move from one tenant to another, and that keeps nagging me to no end. Having worked with, uh, with Azure in the past, I know all this, the restrictions that you have on any single thing that you try to do. The ability to move from one tenant to the other with a single account or creating an account that has access to multiple tenants should be impossible or next to impossible. And apparently it's very easy. And that's really, really dangerous. Looking over the fence to your neighbors on Azure, that's probably more impactful to their business security and to, it could cost Microsoft a lot of money. Let's keep it at that if some companies are able to look at what their competitors are doing.
0: I mean, it's bad enough that in virtualization, all we need is one vulnerability to um, have a sandbox escape, so to speak, to the you know host system. A, a vulnerability will give a threat actor that, that um, ability, but Microsoft just opening the door, that's a lot easier than using a vulnerability. But it could still happen, but, Even if it was a CVE or something, we could have had a story that they patched it and it's fixed, but there's just no excusing something like this. I mean, I I can't even find an angle where like, except for like the intern thing, I have no idea. Even then it still doesn't give them an excuse again, cloud governance would have caught it. So no matter what angle I look at, it's like, and just to your point, you had the same reaction. What, well, why, why was this okay? (laughs) Why, did this, why is lateral movement possible at Microsoft? That should be the one company where it's not possible.
1: Why did it take them so long to catch it? Why weren't alerts triggered? If nothing else, are they improving this? What measures are they taking to trigger alerts sooner on this type of activity? on their own activity, their own administrative activities, like we tell everybody else, on your own companies, on your own organizations, regardless of what operating system you're running. Admin activities should always be logged. Account creation should always be logged. If you have excessive login attempts on any system, that should be logged. And then you should have alerts being fired on top of of those logs and those incidents. Um, Again, remarkable how this doesn't happen at this level. And this, so far, at least to me, this is face facepalm of the podcast so far. And we're 82 episodes in.
0: Well, we should probably find out who the PR person is for Microsoft the email address, and email addresses, send them a link to this podcast and tell them internally whoever's responsible, please just have them listen to our podcast. And <laughs> no, okay, I'm not going to turn this into publicity because that would be bad. But at the same time, you know, we talk about these things like, you know, 82 episodes, and it's like, um, I mean, the only thing that this makes me confident about is that we won't run out of anything to talk about. That's the only thing this gives me the confidence in. (laughs) The usual. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So uh,
1: we've harped a lot about this. So that's our episode for today. Thank you, everybody who joined. As always, it was a pleasure. And see you guys for the next one. Thanks. Thank
0: you so much. Bye.